0: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasures stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Okay, second Kings 21, more on Manasseh, and if I'm saying Manasseh wrong, you can call the Hebrew Language Commission and have them send me a bill. So we had had a long series uh, in the past about kings that ruled over Israel, and we were finally able to see a good king for once and in Hezekiah, and even though Hezekiah had his faults, the Lord still blessed him by listening to his prayer, and that's very encouraging to me because I've got plenty of my own faults, and the Lord still listens to prayer, and I mess up, and He just answers them, and that's good. Stay repentant. So we had Hezekiah, and that was great, and so right when things were looking good, here comes King Manasseh to take a big, fat nosedive, and it's not going to be pretty. Father, we come before you to read your word. Lord, we all come in here a little frazzled today. I, uh, <laughs> I had to get a hold of myself, too, and uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you're patient with us. Lord, you're patient with me in my walk. Thank you for that, Lord God for giving us time to adapt and adjust and get up to speed at times when we're not doing so well. And uh, you just you just give us that time and you let us work. And we're just thankful, Lord God, that you're very, very patient with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. I know everybody in here agrees. So we're going to study your word, Lord, and bless it, despite my faults. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Second Kings 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years. Look at that length, long time. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil. What is the deal with these guys? He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal. You thought Baal was gone, right? He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem, I will put my name... And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. When I read that, I about fainted when I read that. Verse 6, also he made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. I have a feeling that that list there didn't quite cover everything he did. I think it was just kind of giving us the idea of what's going on. It's it's bad. Provoked him to anger. And guys, it's pretty obvious by this passage that sin makes God mad. So when you have the choice to sin or not sin, you better think about what it makes God think before you do it, right? Makes him angry. So rather than... He had a great opportunity to pick up in the ways of his father, Hezekiah, because Hezekiah was a good king. Instead... Manasseh decided to worship false gods like the Canaanites did. All the people of Canaan, the, the, the Lord said, cast them out of the way before I bring you in here. He's going to do just like them for some reason. And, you know, we'd spent the last few chapters watching God's guys work so hard. You had Elisha and Elijah and all these prophets, all these people that worked so hard through droughts and famines doing what they could to... Remove false God worship from the region. But right now here, now with Manasseh, it's like with a flick of a switch, Manasseh just turned it all right back on again. It only takes one guy to come in there and boom, it's right back. That just kind of goes to show you your own leadership influence and the people that you're around. You can either decide to be faithful and obedient to the Lord or in a flick of a switch, you can throw everything all out of whack again. That's why we need to stay with repentance all the time. So he went even further, though, than just this false god worship by he set up altars for false gods inside the temple of God. Now, that was the big one that got me. I could have capitalized on a lot of pieces of this chapter and, and other points, but this is the one that really hit me the hardest. In the temple of God. That temple was, re- was reserved for the Lord God only. That was his temple. Only his. Not to be shared with anyone else. And Manasseh, he demonstrated his hatred against the Lord God's authority by putting those false God altars in that temple. You, could, you got a whole desert to put them in if you want to. Why put them in there? He put them in that temple. So then that was the the witchcraft and the spiritist that was in direct violation of the Mosaic law. The law of Moses says don't do that. So the Bible's listing us not just things he did, but things he did in direct violation against the Lord. The things the Lord said not to do. Okay, we're getting I'm sure he did more than the list. But the Bible's capitalizing on the things that God said don't do. Now where it says he caused his son to pass through the fire, that means that Manasseh burned his own children in flames for the, god, the false god Molech. So we're not just dealing with Baal, because you saw Baal's back in the picture. Now we got Molech too. <laughs> I'm going to turn Molech on, I'm going to get Baal back on. Who else can I crank up here? Let's put altars in the temple and just take God off. How's about that? I mean, this guy's doing everything he can. You ever have somebody just do whatever they can to push your buttons? They know the things that get you going, and they pick those things to do it. This man hates God. He's worshiping every false god that he knows about, anything but worship the God of Israel. And he was a king in Israel. It's amazing. This man hates the Lord. 2 Kings 21.7. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of, of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers. Only if, underline that word, it's a two-letter word and it's a powerful one. Only if, if, They are careful to do according... (laughs) Only if they are careful to do according to all that I commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. (laughs) Whoa. He seduced them. Your leadership, your influence on other people that you have, what you do, they're going to do. I've been through four years of Bible college in Christian leadership. That's my degree is in Christian leadership. And I can sum up, sum up the, the major theme of Christian leadership and save you about twenty to $30,000 worth of tuition. And it goes like this. What you do, others will do. Period. What you do, they'll do. Now, the coursework I did was a little more elaborated than that. But what you do, they'll do, okay? That's your influence that you have on people. And he seduced people to do that. Now, an Asherah, what is an Asherah? They have these things called Asherah poles. That was a sacred tree, or it was like a pole or something that was placed around Canaanite religious centers. It's kind of like when you're driving down the road and you see a Walmart sign or McDonald's. Oh, that's a McDonald's sign over there. Okay, they had poles they put up. Hey, Canaanite worship center is right over here. It's helped to identify it. Okay, He put this Asherah pole in the temple. This is the temple of God. You don't put an Asherah pole here. So by placing the Asherah pole in the temple along with the old, other altars, Manasseh, he, he showed that he had absolutely no care for God's covenant promises that God had made with Judah. I don't care. There's a lot of people out there today. I don't care. And they're putting up altars showing they don't care. He had no regard for God's authority. He had no respect for his forefathers who worshipped the Lord faithfully in centuries past. He had no regard for the traditions that was handed down to him that men fought and died for, that they gave to him for him to carry on when it was his turn to carry the torch. He didn't care. And we're reminded there in verse 4 that God said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. When you do a big work, you sign it. That's my work. I signed it. God is saying, I'm signing creation on Jerusalem. And here's Manasseh. He's like, I don't give a rip, God. That's why I call this moron Manasseh. He was an idiot to act like this. Now, remember, God had promised to put somebody from David's line on the throne there in Jerusalem. Now, that's what's called an unconditional promise. And I want to cash in on these different kinds of covenant promises here. There's two kinds. There's conditional and there's unconditional. And God makes both. And conditional is dependent on something you do. And unconditional is not dependent on anything you do. When you get saved, that's bound by Jesus, unconditional. But I want you, that's why I wanted you to take a notice of the word if. Because in this passage, we're reminded... In this passage about a conditional promise that God had made where he said, I won't make Israel have to wander around homeless, but only if. See, that means he's putting something on them that requires them to make something happen. He says, if they are careful to obey me and the law of Moses. Okay, so where God said, if, that makes it conditional, so if you're wanting to study about covenants, oh, all covenants are sealed no matter what I did. N- not all of them. And when you're bound in salvation, that's sealed because of what Jesus did, okay? But there are conditional things. And when it says if, you better pay attention to that word if because that's a big word. That means you're responsible in this mess somewhere. <laughs> so he said, I won't make them wander but if they obey me. Now, if is the conditional promise. And conditional promises are very, very different from unconditional promises. God promised unconditionally to have someone sit on David's line from the tribe of Judah that Manasseh ruled over. That's not dependent on David. David, remember, he messed up. He committed adultery. He committed murder. God's like, not based on you it's unconditional god says i'm gonna put that guy on the throne has nothing to do with what you do i promise that i do alone okay and god has to keep judah and jerusalem around that he has to keep them in existence because that part is unconditional that god's gonna do Uh, But the conditional promise, though, is that they have to obey the law or else God makes them wander. It's dependent on them. If you want to wander or not, depends on what you do. The covenant to David promise is going to stay no matter what, but you feel like wandering around being lost, it's based on what you do. Obey me or not depends on you. So we just saw that Manasseh was breaking the law like crazy. He was causing other people to do it too. So it's inevitable now, according to this conditional promise, that the people are going to get kicked out of town because they're breaking it. The if they made their choice and they went the wrong way. So there's a real paradox at hand here. When you you look at this, the conditional of if you obey me, well, they didn't, and so now they got to wander, versus the unconditional promise that I'm going to keep someone on the throne of David regardless. That to me makes a paradox, a real problem here. And when I read this, I start wondering, God had made these unconditional promise to do great things in Jerusalem. But now that Israel broke the law, God has to send them wandering. You see the problem here. So what I'm wondering is if God has to judge sin, then how could he keep Jerusalem around for his purposes and his promises and yet also judge Jerusalem for the insulting sin that they were doing? Do you see the problem here? Do you see the, the pressure this building? I'm going to do this no matter what. But if you goof up, you're wondering. Well, how's he going to do that? See, this is... This is something God can do that we get confused about, that we don't understand. When I study, this is where my head goes. So let's see what happens here with this. this, The pressure's building. I'm trying to get you to see the the, the difficulty involved in this. 2 Kings 21 and 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. And has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel. See, we're being reminded of who he is. The Lord God of Israel, behold, which means look. Behold means pay attention. He's saying, Israelites, wake up and listen to what I'm telling you. Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Now, guys, there's this belief system out there that, well, I'm under covenant. God can't touch me. I'm under covenant. Well, Jerusalem's under covenant. Look what God's going to do to them. So people accuse me of saying sin all you want to. You're saved by Jesus. Just go ahead and party and do drugs and get drunk and whatever you want to do. It's okay. I never say that because you're looking at a city that's under covenant for God to do great things. God signed his name on it. They have the ultimate favor. Yet God says you messed up. Now I got to now I got to punish you. Does anybody ever think I'm preaching uh, sin license in this church? And I know I say it over and over again because I'm telling you, no matter how many times I've preached it, I still get accused of it. (laughs) So when God said he would stretch the measuring line of Samaria, what does that mean? It means he was about to exact the right amount of judgment against it for what they had done wrong. Let's say somebody's about ready to build a fence. If you've ever built a fence before, you first have to run out a measuring line. You have to determine where your property is And you got to determine how much uh, work requirements and materials are going to be needed to complete that project. you got to measure things out. So that's the idea is to see if what I'm about to do is going to meet what needs doing. And so they would also use a plumb line. You take a plumb line and you drop it and it hangs vertical so that when you put your posts in, you got to make sure your posts are straight up and down. You can use a level, but back then they used a plumb line. It's like a rock on a string or something. So a plumb line. So God said he was going to stretch the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. The idea here is that God was measuring Judah up first. You know when fighters get in a ring, they kind of measure each other up. They, they get in there and they're kind of checking each other out. It's like, let's see what i got to deal with here. It's like I'm, I'm figuring out what, I'm about, what kind of damage I'm about to have to do here. So he's measuring Judah up so that he could execute enough chaos like he said, I'm going to bring chaos like you ain't never seen before. Enough chaos to judge them for their sin, just as he had once done to Samaria and against King Ahab. In other words, God was making sure that the punishment was going to fit the crime. I have a friend that was a lawyer. He said, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. So he's measuring the time up against him. Now, About wiping Jerusalem like a dish, that is some pretty extreme language. And y'all got to realize, this is God saying this. Well, God doesn't do that. He does. I'm going to wipe you like a dish. I ain't going to even turn you upside down too. I'm going to mess it all up. Um, Whenever I do dishes, and if Anna was here, she would say, since when do you ever do dishes? But when I do, because sometimes she's not home. And I do some dishes. Uh, I'm glad she's not in here. Is she in here? She's not in here. Good. I'm going to talk. Is that door open? <laughs> Anna's supposed to shut that door. Can you turn it down a little bit? I'm just, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Whenever I do dishes, I, after I wipe the dish clean, I turn it upside down if it's a, you know, a jar or a pitch or something, the reason I do that and any of you do it is that's to make sure that any drops that were missed are going to be certain to be run out. So God's coming judgment at Jerusalem would be so severe that it would ensure everybody got run out. It's going to hit everyone. It's going to hit everybody that did any sin. It's going to, he's basically saying, I'm not going to miss any of you. I'm going to get you. Now we read that God issued this warning through his prophets and it said, servants and prophets. Can you imagine what it was like for all these prophets all around the land to all get the same message at the same time? Can you imagine the prophets way up north and the ones way southeast and west? They all started saying the same thing. And there's no texting, no email. And when if a guy traveled from here to way over to there, he's like, funny, I heard the prophets way down there say the same thing. Nobody could have beat me up here. God must be talking. It would validate the message. That this really is coming. And I also want you to consider how what it was like for these guys because they were commanded by God to say this. This is a heavy message. It was mandatory for them to go tell their own culture, hey guys, we send our way into a hole and God is going to judge us for it. And I really relate with these guys because I'm doing it in my culture now. And we got other pastors all over the place saying the same thing because we have the same word of God and we have to stand in front of our culture and tell them we are sinners and we messed up and God is angry about it. And it's not comfortable. It's not a fun time to have to do this part of the the ministry work. I'm trying to relate to these ministers. And when you go to your workplaces and whatever it is you do and you tell people about Jesus because you have to and they don't like you for it. You ever been there? It's not comfy, is it? Well, these prophets had to had to do this. And th- these are the times when God's messengers are absolutely hated. Hated. I got friends say, oh man, it must be such a wonderful job, Ray. You get to be a pastor now. That's cool. I go visit my old friends at the job that I used to work at. So what's it like, Ray? It must be wonderful. It is. It's very wonderful. It's very blessed. And then they go, well, what's the hardest stuff? And then I don't even want to tell them. I can't tell you all all the things that happen because it would violate other people's privacy. But I will, I'll guarantee you, you would be shocked to hear some of the things i got to deal with. And I'm not here whining about it. The Lord's with me in it. But I'm saying it's not fun. And these ministers here, these, these prophets, it wasn't fun to have to go to everybody, some of them family and friends, and say, hey, God's judgment is coming. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. It's not fun. And as a matter of fact, he said, the Lord told me to tell you that the heaviness is going to be so bad that it's going to shock anybody that hears it. How many people do you think said, oh, well, forget you, you're not our friend anymore and went on about their way. Stopped inviting them to dinner. Stopped hanging out because we don't like what you said. I've got emails from people calling me false prophet. I'm going to hell. Threatening me. You name it. I've got them I don't keep them to dwell on them. I keep them Because it's a reminder They ever come walking back in here. I better see a change in them or i'm going to hold them what they last said Because that's scary stuff They hate people's uh, god's messengers when they have to speak like that. How would you have loved to have been a prophet in this day? All right, prophets. We're not doing a regular day today I want you to get on your horse and get out there and here's what we got to tell everybody I can see a whole room of prophets going. Oh, man we got to do that. Yeah. How many prophets do you think wanted to quit? How many prophets went and did it not wanting to do it? Now you know my world. And probably yours at times too. 2 Kings 21 and 14. So, here's the Lord saying, So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen set for life. You'll have all you need. Just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life. You'll be on your way any day you decide to start.